If you'll take your Bibles and turn to Psalm 23. We'll be looking today at verses 5 and 6 of Psalm 23. We spent the last three weeks working through a very familiar passage, and today we will conclude our time in this psalm. Next week, Pastor Jeremy will be preaching from another psalm, and then uh, when we're back together September 11th, we will begin a new series in the book of James, uh, and also our home groups will be following through the same passages that we'll be preaching from the book of James as well. So we look forward to that as we uh, look forward to uh, more time in God's Word together. Psalm 23, let's pray and ask for the Lord to guide us. Father, we ask that you would help us, that you would open our eyes that we may behold wonderful things in your word, that our lives may be changed and that you would be glorified. We pray this in Christ's name, amen. You know, there's nothing quite like returning home after a long trip or a long season of being away. Some of you know the joys of returning from a deployment after being at sea for six to eight months at a time or longer. Maybe you recall the happiness, the end of a college semester as you were anticipating going back home, enjoying mama's cooking. Or even when you're on travel for a week, there's, there's just nothing quite like coming back home to your own bed. Well, as we come to the final two verses of Psalm 23, here we find David almost like an anxious sailor sailing into ports, or like that college student during finals trying not to be distracted by the thoughts of home. You see, David has recounted many wonderful provisions and blessings that have come from the hand of God throughout this very short psalm. And now he rejoices in these final two verses of the present and future mercies and blessings that God gives to his people. Let's stand together as we read Psalm 23. We'll be looking at verses five and six today, but I want to read all six verses. This is the word of the Lord. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. You may be seated. As we consider these final two verses in this psalm, I want us to look at two gifts that our good shepherd provides us. Two gifts today as we think about the abundant provision of God in our lives, as we think about who God is and what he provides for his own. I want us to look simply at two things. The first truth, the first gift that we see here in this passage is found in verse five, and we could summarize it this way, that we as God's people live with God's abundant blessing. We, as God's people, live with God's abundant blessing. Here in verse five, David presents God as, as preparing a table for him. Preparing a table was, was not a phrase that would have been commonly used in writing like this to just simply refer to 
Supper, right? Uh, preparing a table had, had so much more meaning behind it. What David was referring to here, was alluding to, was this was language of a great feast or a banquet. Supper is important, right? You know, you hope you get it tonight. Hope you eat well, but the, preparing a table had, had, had much more of a banquet or a feast kind of context in mind. And as David reflects upon his own experience with God thus far throughout his life, he compares his relationship to, to, to God as God being a host preparing this wonderful feast for many guests to enjoy. And though it might sound a bit strange at first, David says that God has prepared this table in the presence of my enemies. Now that could refer to a couple of things. It could refer to either the fact that, that David is celebrating a, a recent victory over an enemy and now a celebration ensues as the enemy kind of looks on as they've been defeated or it could just simply refer to a, a banquet that was given, a feast that was provided even though the enemy was near and present but yet could do nothing to hinder this fellowship. What we see here, either way, is that there, there is no concern, there's no concern or fear on behalf of the divine host because the enemy happens to be near or looking on. The point David is making is that God furnishes us with sustenance that we need and he does so without trouble or difficulty. He provides for us liberally with his resources that are limitless and there's nothing our enemy can do to stop it. You see, our enemy may be near, but he cannot ultimately rob us of the blessings that God desires to give us. Indeed, some look at this passage and think it's a foreshadow of the ultimate and final defeat over our enemy and it may very well be. I wanna remind you of what Paul wrote to the Romans in Romans chapter eight. Wonderful passage there in verses 31 through 39 as, as Paul recounts the, 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 the victory and the assurance of God's blessings in his life, in the life of the church, and even in light of all of the evil surrounding him. He says, what then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? Who shall bring any charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies, who is to condemn? Christ Jesus is the one who died more than that, who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who indeed is interceding for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? As it is written, for your sake we are being killed all the day long. We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am sure, confidence, I am sure that neither death nor life nor angels nor rulers nor things present nor things to come nor powers nor height nor depth nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. To God be the glory. Friends, nothing Nothing can rob us of the abundant blessings that God desires to give his people.
nothing. See, the point that David is making here is that God gives us these things. He gives us his provision. He's preparing this table. He's calling us to dine with him. He's calling to to provide in abundance. And we see that here. As he says, you prepare the table. In the presence of my enemies, you anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. He makes reference here to the anointing of oil and an overflowing cup to illustrate the abundant provision of God. In his day and time, both oil and wine were highly valued, both for the time that it took to produce them and for the effect that it had on people. Where David lived in this day and time was a dry and very hot climate. It was a long, long before the SUVs and air conditioning came around. So even, even going to join someone for a celebration or a special banquet for dinner would require some kind, unless they lived right next door, would require some kind of, of travel. And oftentimes, if you were invited from a, for a banquet or a feast, you would be traveling from maybe a far distance to come and enjoy that time. And when a person would arrive at a home, the place of the banquet or the feast, they would often be greeted with oil and wine. They would be anointed with oil as a means of refreshment for their skin because of the dry and arid climate. And the guest would also provide them a a cup of wine which was to help soothe their throats and to show them that they were in a place of honor. In Psalm 104 verse 15, the Lord tells us how he gave wine to gladden the heart of man and oil to make his face shine. So what we find in the scriptures is, is that both wine and oil often represent joy and prosperity. So the point that David is making as he refers to this overflowing cup and this anointing of oil is that God welcomes us as weary travelers and he wants to give us nothing but the best to welcome us in and to make us refreshed and enjoy his blessings. See, even even if you're not a Christian, and I would assume that there would be people in this room today that aren't Christian because of this number of people being in one place, even if you're not a Christian, friend, you are still yet a recipient of God's blessings. We refer to that oftentimes as God's common grace. He allows it to rain on the just and the unjust. God is gracious to you even if you are not a follower of Jesus yet. It's certainly true that while we all don't experience the blessings of God in the same amount or at the same time, there is not one person, there's not one person that can look around and not see the blessing of God in their lives. Friends like David, we ought to be stirred. We ought to be stirred and affected by the blessings and provisions of God. We ought to be stirred to gratitude for his blessings. And the more your blessings are, the deeper your gratitude ought to run. Friends, we are a blessed people. We should not think strictly in materialistic terms when we think about blessings. That's kind of an American thing. We think blessing, materialism. Don't think like an American right now. Think as a Christian. Think as a Christian because the blessings that we often have are much more than just possessions that we own. Friends, those will burn up one day. 
Reminded of what an old Puritan once said, he sat down for dinner one evening to find one potato and one glass of water. He looked upon his meal and with profound gratitude said this, all this and Jesus Christ too. And what a glorious testimony to the abundant provisions of God can even be stated over a potato and a glass of water. Friends, in our culture especially, we are all inclined towards wanting more and more, but the more we get, the more we want. And we must realize that our cup is often overflowing regardless of what we have or don't have materially. I take you to Ephesians chapter one and that glorious passage where, where Paul recounts the, the, the gifts and the blessings of God and how we, how we find ourselves positioned now in Christ. In Ephesians chapter one, it's a very long sentence. He recounts the spiritual blessings that we have. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. In love, he predestined us for adoption through Jesus Christ according to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace with which he has blessed us in the beloved. In him, we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of his grace which he lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight, making known to us the mystery of his will according to the purpose which he set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in him, things in heaven and things on earth. In him, we've obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will, so that we who were the first to hope in Christ might be to the praise of his glory. In him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation and believed in him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of his glory. Friends, when you have a difficult time recounting God's blessings in your life, all you need to do is read Ephesians chapter one and that should be enough. You've been adopted, you've been forgiven, you've been chosen, you've been accepted, You've been sealed by the Holy Spirit. What more shall you need? Friends, we need to learn to see God's blessings differently than than the world often looks. And if you aren't joyful in God and find yourself increasingly grateful for his abundant blessings, you should stop and consider why. Especially as a Christian, if you find yourself struggling to be grateful and counting the blessings of God in your life, you should stop and ask, why is it that I am not grateful? Why is it that, my, why, why is it that I don't see my cup overflowing in abundance? God has welcomed me in. As we, we need to understand that we live with God's abundant blessings, and we could talk more and more about that, but we should move on to point number two. Not only do we have God's abundant blessings, we live with God's committed presence. Look at verse six. Surely, goodness and mercy shall follow me. I mean, David couldn't have used more certain terms, could he? Surely and shall twice. Surely, goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I shall dwell in the the house of the Lord forever. This is just oozing with confidence oozing with certainty. Seems that while David considers the prepared table as a way to reflect upon God's 
past and even present blessings, he, he now turns to consider God's ongoing blessings. You, Psalm 23 reminds us that, that life is, is like a pilgrimage that leads to a final destination. You know, I heard one writer put it this way, that it's probably not an accident that the psalm begins in the green pastures and ends in the house of the Lord with the, de- with the valley of the shadow of death in the middle. See, David's taking us on a journey, and it's really a snapshot of our life and what God has given us in the midst of our life. We're reminded here of God's goodness and mercy that follows us along that pathway and that culminates in endless mercy and endless goodness and glory. See, he's highlighting both the present and future reality as we, uh, we enjoy as God's people. I want us to look at, at how we see his present or his presence in the present. That'll trip you up. He is present, his present in the present. David had known what it was like to be pursued by an enemy. He had often been pursued. He, he was often being chased. He was often being attacked. He was often being sought his death. Whether it was Saul or some other threat, he had known what it would have been like to, for people wanted to do him harm. But that, friend, was not the thing that dominated his thinking. He could have given countless testimony, and he does throughout the Psalms, and you will see that, but here he's not, he's not focused in on how it was that he was being pursued by another enemy. This Psalm, he's, he's, reminding the, he's being reminded of the fact that, hey, it's not my enemy that pursues me, it's God that pursues me. Surely, goodness and mercy shall follow me. That word follow is not just somebody following behind from a distance. It actually has, has more, the, the English is, is a little vague there, but it has more of a pursuit in mind. God pursues us. And that's exactly how David viewed his own life. He, he saw God's goodness and mercy, his steadfast love flowing from God's own character as that which accompanied him in life. David's awareness of God's goodness and mercy is that critical part of his posture, even when walking through the valley of the shadow of death that led him and enabled him to rejoice and to make much of God. Friends, no matter what happens in this life, we can be assured. We can be assured that we are always accompanied by the goodness and mercies of God, amen? It's what the Bible teaches us. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. This is David's testimony. He's, he's, he's given a personal word here of, of his own experience with God, but he's doing so, so in such a way that God's now instructing us and showing us how he is present in the life of the believer. Verse six is easy to quote when things are going well, right? Life is not all filled up with Difficulty and hiccups and struggle, you can sing verse six. But these are truths that are especially sweet when things aren't so well. When things are not so well, it's verse six that will help serve to prop you up when the weight of this world wants to crush you down. Goodness and mercy pursue us. 
And by the way, goodness and mercy are not just things for us to enjoy for ourselves. They are, they are channels for us to be a blessing to others. Think about this. David's saying, surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. He's reflecting upon that. He's, he's celebrating that truth. He's, he's, he's delighting in the fact that God is present, that God is there to sustain, and God is there to provide. But, but ask yourself this question. Do people who know you know about a good and merciful God because they know you? Are people drawn to God because of your own stated experience of God? Or are they more discouraged when they're around you? Paul says in 2 Corinthians there, he talks about how we are either a pleasing aroma or not so pleasing aroma. You could even somewhat make application here as you think about the goodness and mercy that follows you all the days of your life. David is, is celebrating that. He's, he's, he's vocalizing these truths as a means to encourage others. Holy Spirit has inspired this whole thing here. So right now, the Spirit's desire is for you to be encouraged through David's experience. How many people you know are encouraged by your experience of God? Friends, your awareness, acknowledgement, and celebration of God's goodness and mercy ought to be a pleasing aroma to those around you. Or do you put off more of a stinking aroma marked by grumbling and complaining and lack of joy? Philip Keller, again, he wrote a great book on this psalm, Psalm 23. He said this in his book, the only real practical measure of my appreciation for the goodness and mercy of God to me is the extent to which I am in turn prepared to show goodness and mercy to others. Several questions to ask yourself. Do I, believe, do I leave behind peace in others' lives or turmoil? Do I leave behind forgiveness or bitterness? Do I leave behind contentment or conflict? Do I leave behind joy or frustration? Do I leave behind love or hostility? Friends, one of the things that we're called to be as God's people is we're called to be those who not only experience the goodness and mercy of God, which follows us all the days of our lives, which pursues us all the days of our lives, but we ought to be displays of God's goodness and mercy. We ought to be a walking billboard of the goodness and mercy of God so that when others commune with us and contact us and come and and fellowship with us, they are encountering the goodness and mercies of God. And if they're not, why aren't they Christians? Not only does David acknowledge the goodness and mercy of God in his life, notice he also speaks to the extent of this goodness and mercy. How long will he know this mercy? All the days of my life. All the days of my life, that's what he says. Every day, every single day, David is able to walk in the goodness and mercies of God and he's able to celebrate that goodness and mercy before others. Every day, all the days of my life. 
There's not a day, listen, there is not a day that goes by by which you, friend, are not the recipient of the goodness and mercy of God. Not a day, not a single day goes by without you being the recipient of the sweet goodness and mercies of God. Not one day. God doesn't take the weekends off. He doesn't do the the CWS Friday thing. Every day, every day. And so instead of Instead of dwelling upon all of the chaos and the things that want to rob you of joy and gratitude, and just pause and go to Psalm 23 and just meditate upon the sweetness of verse six. Instead of dwelling upon the incompetent coworker or the selfish spouse, the never-ending demands of the kids, the struggling pursuit of a spouse, or just the normal frustrations in life, why not dwell upon the fact that every single day you have breath, the goodness and mercies of God are pursuing you? No matter who you are. Friends, how often do you look for God's goodness and mercy in your life? How often are you looking for goodness and mercy? How often are you looking for evidence of the presence of God, the goodness and mercy of God? It's every day. Every day we ought to be looking because every day God is present. Number two, second point, his presence in the future. Not only his presence in the present, but his presence in the future. The provisions of God in this life are simply a foretaste of what we will ultimately enjoy for all of eternity. The goodness and mercy of God that follows us every single day in this life will be no less present in eternity. It's the greatest expression. The greatest expression of God's goodness and mercy will ultimately one day be culminated when we are in his presence forever. when we're finally safe at home with him. Here he says in verse six, and I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Now you read that verse and immediately you want to think about the mansions in heaven. Put on the brake a little bit, slow down a little bit. House of the Lord can simply mean family, household, or even flock if you want to apply it to a a shepherd and his sheep. So it's a household of the Lord that we're talking about here. And and certainly that includes our our eternal destination, but it also includes a little bit of our present reality and the future that we have here still yet. David knew that he was safe in God's household forever and he took much needed joy from that fact. For David to dwell in the house of the Lord forever was not so much a celebration over the accommodations the Lord was preparing as much as it was a celebration that David knew he was part of the family of God and could walk in the presence of God. 
You know, there are so many people today that they desperately want a place in heaven, but want nothing to do with the Savior who will get them there. And friends, if that is you, if you want heaven, you think you're going to heaven, and, you, and, and, and if we were to say, hey, if you get to heaven, Jesus isn't going to be there, and if that was fine with you, you're not a Christian. Jesus is not a means to an end. He's not your little ticket that you just toss aside when you get what you want. He is the end. He is, who will, he is the one who will ultimately bring you everlasting joy. Consider what David wrote in Psalm 27, verse four. A few Psalms later, this is, one thing have I asked of the Lord. If I were to ask you this morning, what's one thing you could ask of the Lord today? What would you write down? Just think about that. Well, here's what David said. One thing have I asked of the Lord that I will seek after. Not only has he asked for it, but he will seek after it. That I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord and to inquire in his holy temple. Get what he says. One thing that I'm going to ask for and seek after is that I may dwell in the house of the Lord, the household, the presence of God forever. Why? Not for the house, not for the mansion, not for the accommodations, but so that he could gaze upon the beauty of the Lord and inquire in his holy temple so that he can have relationship with God. As David's focus here was, was certainly related somewhat to the tabernacle, but it was not the tabernacle itself that David longed for. It was the Lord that he longed for. It was the presence of God that he desperately wanted and he was going to seek. And friends, that ought to be the ever-increasing desire of our hearts as Christians. I still remember the day, some 15 years ago now, I remember it clear as a clear, clearly in my own mind, a good friend of mine, Mark Collins, he, out of the blue, just asked me one day, he said, Adam, when was the last time you experienced the presence of God? Pfft, what? I've never been asked that before. When was the last time you experienced the presence of God? You know, and I wanted to get theological, well, God's omnipresent, he's always present. So all the time, but he was meaning something a little different. He was pointing me, I believe, to, to the heart of David. This is something I want, something that I'm seeking, something that I'm pursuing. See, his, his focus was right. Again, to quote Philip Keller, he said, for when all is said and done on the subject of a successful Christian walk, it can be summed up in one sentence, live ever aware of God's presence. Brenda, you do that. Do you live out your life ever aware and quote David, ever seeking God's presence? Is that you? Is that what you desire? Our thoughts ought to be filled with eternity. And by the way, that is a striking difference between the Christian and the non-Christian. If you are a Christian, your thoughts, your, your lives, your motives, everything about you ought to be heaven focused. You ought to be thinking, you ought to be contemplating about heaven often. If you're not a Christian, that's probably not what you're thinking about. And if you do, it kind of scares you because you may not be going there, will be your conclusion. It's one of the things that would distinguish fruits of a Christian and a non-Christian. One thinks about heaven, the other thinks about earth. Friends, our thoughts ought to be filled with eternity. 
What, what if you were to stand before your creator tomorrow? I'm sure that the 284 people in central Italy this past week when they went to bed that night before the earthquake at 3 a.m. didn't think about that question because that's exactly what they would be doing just a few hours later. And so if you're here today and you're not a Christian, what we would tell you, one, was we're glad you're here. And two, more importantly, is that the Lord can be your shepherd. You can, with David, say, the Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want, and I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. That can be your confident stance if you would simply turn away from yourself turn away from trying to earn favor with God, Try, turn away from seeking the ways of this, this world and place your faith in Jesus Christ who walked this earth, who died a death that we all deserve to die and was raised from the dead, claiming victory once and for all over sin and the grave. If you would simply place your hope in him, your sins would be forgiven and you'll be adopted into his family. The Lord is my shepherd. That can be your statement. You know, I think Spurgeon was right when he referred to Psalm 23 as the pearl of Psalms. It's a beautiful picture. It's a beautiful picture of all that's ours when the Lord is our shepherd. You know, as I thought about this psalm and as we conclude this psalm, I, I pray, my prayer for me, my prayer for you, my prayer for us, is that we have all been drawn closer together, not just to the green pastures or the lavish banquet or the house of the Lord, as good as those things are. My prayer is that all of us have been drawn closer to the good shepherd who laid down his life for the sheep. And friend, I pray that you can confidently claim him as such, and if you can't, then would you give us the opportunity to talk with you further about what it means to follow Jesus? We would delight to have that conversation with you even today. Seek us out and we would love to talk about what it means to be one of the sheep following such a great and glorious shepherd. Let's pray. Lord God, we do thank you and we do praise you. We thank you that you are the good shepherd that you take count of your sheep and that you provide for us all that we ever need or could ever want. Lord, we know that apart from you, we would run astray, we would, we would go our own way, we would be foolish, we would end up destroyed. But Father, we thank you that you are faithful to pursue the wayward that you bring us not only to yourself, but you bring us into a flock and that you guide us as one. God, you are so, so faithful. You are so good. We just wanna thank you and praise you this day for what you've given us. Lord, I pray that this Psalm would not just be something that we think about 
when times are hard, but Lord, that we would also think about them when times are good. That we would be instructed to follow in the shadow of our great shepherd and not be distracted by the things of this world. But Lord, that we would be ever drawn closer to you. Father, you know where we are. You know where we are as your people. You know if we're a wayward sheep. You know if we're there close to you. You you know, Lord, if we're not even part of the flock yet. And I pray, Father, that you would do your great work, the work that only you can do, to bring us to yourself and to lead us on toward that great day when we will dwell in your presence forever and ever and ever. Lord, we thank you and we love you. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.